1: Emergency management. A lot of times, it's not going to be textbook. It's an unconventional encounter. You don't have a tactical precedent or a plan, so you have to do the best you can.
0: Hey, welcome to Ian Weekly, and this is your host Todd DeVoe speaking. Well, today with me, I have Charles Lane, and we're going to be talking about emergency management in the hospital setting. And realistically, this is one of those growing fields. You know, when I talk about emergency management with my students and they say, well, you know, what kind of job opportunities are out there? Uh, Hospitals are one of those growing uh, fields for emergency management. Everybody kind of has to have one and some of them aren't sure how to do it. And so Charles is here today and we're going to talk about what they do in his system and because i guess he's not one just one hospital what they do in his system and how it works so before we get into the interview i just want to just say a couple things one is i love this time of the year it's falls hitting the weather's changing and it's cooler in the east coast so the leaves are starting to come out you know, obviously we had some hurricanes coming here last uh, few weeks and so and, and you know, those are concerns, but it always seems to be that once October starts rolling around, things start slowing down for all of, us, uh, all of us in emergency management and the holidays are starting to come around here shortly. So we're going to be doing a list of, of what books I think emergency managers might be interested in for the holidays. And so stay tuned to look for the holiday uh, season with the emergency management book list coming your way. If you want to get in the conversation of what book you think belongs on an emergency manager's bookshelf, join us on Facebook also on emweekly.com Now to the interview Charles welcome to IAN Weekly
1: All right thanks Todd happy to be here
0: So Charles tell me you know about yourself and then how you got involved with emergency management
1: So I had kind of a really weird rise into emergency management doing it as a profession uh, I actually started out in healthcare a little over 11 years ago now and I got into it at the time I was working in security at one of the hospitals and I was doing a lot of training for their uh, security officers at that specific facility. It's still within our system that I work at now. But there was a lot of grant money at the time. This was around 2007. So a lot of the grants had come out for hospital decon teams and you know all of the bioterrorism awareness. It was around that time and they were looking for uh, hazmat instructors basically to teach the decon teams at the hospital and I had actually worked on the transportation side of hazardous materials when I worked for Federal Express here in Memphis we've got a big hub and so I had familiarity with it and I was already teaching so they kind of reached out they said are you interested in doing this one thing led to another over the years I kept teaching Uh, Worked a while doing a lot of EMS and security dispatch access control. I always stayed kind of on the fringes of emergency management. But anytime I could go to a class, anytime I could learn something new, I did it. And then a few years back, would have been into 2014, uh, right around the time of the Ebola crisis and the big scare in the the US and everything else, position came available for our corporate system-wide department. Basically, they were looking for an emergency management coordinator. The safety director of the system reached out to me, interviewed for it, came into the position and really just kind of took it from there. Been doing it for several years now and love every minute of it. I'm actually the program manager for the system now, so I do emergency preparedness. We've got about a 1600 plus bed system five adult hospitals, one pediatric, and then a myriad of affiliated services and different ancillary services that we do. So I really enjoy it. It's a challenge, but uh, I look forward to going to work every day.
0: So what are some of the challenges that you have specifically with hospital emergency management compared to say, you know, emergency management in a a city or, or anywhere else?
1: the biggest thing and i think a lot of it from i work very closely with my colleagues from public health from city county and even state ema and we talk a lot about this and you know it's interesting a lot of the challenges are very much the same you know i don't i'm not one of ones that constantly laments you know oh people don't get it they don't understand but there is a level still that within a system especially for healthcare like anything else there's competing ideologies for how money is spent there's always kind of looking at things a little bit differently for what we say is clinical versus non-clinical. So, you know, when you understand in the healthcare field, money and innovation tends to be geared more towards investments. You know, what's our return on investment going to be with this project? So if we pour money into a stroke coordination center where we can treat people and, you know, reduce, uh, long term effects or death from stroke in the healthcare world that's kind of seen as innovative and you know that's worth putting money into emergency management's still really kind of growing and i would almost say from the healthcare field there's it's not so much apathy nor is it ignorance but there's just really kind of confusion i think in leadership as to you know why do we need to spend this amount of time on it Why do we need to dedicate these resources to it? And some of that, well, I'm always thankful for grant money. (laughs) The abundance of it for a while kind of hurt us, I think, because now we're at a point where we're kind of going, hey, it doesn't really work like that anymore. It's not available the same way. And we've had this for 10 years plus now, and now we're kind of needing to go a different way. So we're dealing with the budget fights a lot you know, it's it's always a fight for allocation of funds. Time is probably the biggest thing. I don't know how many people outside of healthcare realize just how many training requirements there are, not only for obviously your clinical staff that are dealing with patients on a day-to-day basis, but everybody in the hospital has to take some sort of safety-based training. And then we have to do emergency management training. And then you have All these different things that come up. So you have people that are constantly bombarded with, you know, an internet module. Uh, We use a, it's called Cornerstone, where people are constantly, you know, just bombarded with some sort of module and tests that they've got to take. And so you've, you've kind of got each person holding up their sign, you know, screaming for an hour here, four hours here. And, you know, I would say time is probably the biggest challenge that I have because I do have interest. I have support. Now, like anything, I think there's some people who are going to say, well, you know, I I just, I don't believe that's ever going to happen. You know, you always have people that have the mindset of "Eh, it won't happen here. But recently we've had some thankfully smaller events that, you know, didn't result in anything catastrophic, no injuries, nothing long term. But We've had some things that have been eye-opening, I guess. And so the response from my senior leader teams has been very, very positive, you know, where they they see the value in it. They see the value in the programs. And, you know, overall, what I tell people all the time is to get around your challenges, you have to be able to sell your product. And I think it's really good if all emergency managers are salespeople. You know, you really need to get out there and, and tell people. This is why it's important. Here's what we need to do. And you need to always be mindful that there's competing interests and work, I think, within the limitations of your organization. Like I said, I'm very fortunate. I have a really great team that I work with and I've been able to do some really great things. And I've I've talked around the country and I know it's not always that way for everybody else, but I would definitely say time is my my biggest factor.
0: Yeah, I know what you talk about with competing interests. I mean, as a you know, city EM, we really talk about community preparedness and getting out there and, and trying to get people ready uh, for disasters. And, and you know, people have a lot of things that are going on there. And then working at the higher education, it's getting the faculty and staff to understand that, yeah, you know what, guys, you have a, a duty to the student before you just, you know, pop smoke and, and, and leave. So, right. uh, yeah, I do. I mean, you know, One of the things, too, is it sounds like you run into this problem as well as with the people saying it's not going to happen here with the idea of the normalcy bias. You know, have you ever just like handed them a, a, a copy of Five Days at Memorial?
1: You know, it's funny. I keep a copy of that book on my desk and I reference it often. And there's always a temptation sometimes in meetings to just pick it up and throw it, you know, down the boardroom and be like, you know, read chapter four and this is what happens and this is what we're setting ourselves up for. but. Oddly enough, the way I found that book originally was one of the ladies, she's on my corporate incident command team. And we were uh, we were wrapping up a drill one day and she asked, she said, have you ever read Five Days at Memorial? I said, no, I've I've never read it. I said, I'm I'm familiar with it. And she said, you have to buy it. She said, go home and buy it. She goes, and read it this weekend. Uh, Okay. So I did. I, I went home. I ordered it through Amazon, got it, read through it, spent... Most of Sunday evening after I chewed through it, uh, gripped in a paralyzing fear and a cold sweat, got about two hours of <laughs> sleep, go into work the next day. And, you know, it's like you want to pull everybody in and be like, we have to go through every plan. We can't let this happen. And, but I reference it on a frequent basis. And I actually have, we have disaster response teams uh, that we implemented at all of our facilities. And that was one of the first things that I told them. I was like, y'all go read this book, you know, go through it. And, you know, let me know what you think. And sure enough, about a week goes by and uh, I have one lady that's on the team. She's, she's excellent. And she's really just all in love with him. And she, <laughs> she calls me and uh, she goes, I love you. And I hate you. I said, why? And she goes, this dadgum book. <laughs> and I said, it, it changes your world for you. you know, it's, a, it's an interesting one.
0: So you, you mentioned just right now, the disaster response team and, I know in one of our pre-calls that we had, we talked about the difference between CERT and stuff like this. Can you talk a little bit about your disaster response teams and and, and how you implement them in your hospitals?
1: Absolutely. So when I started in the position, and I'll be honest, I, I kind of had the idea really out of a desire to not get stuck in an office. I really much like the operations side of things. I always like to play. You know I've talked to people that say, you know, well, I don't ever participate in my exercises. I'm only an evaluator. And sometimes I do that, but sometimes I like to get in there and, and guide and I like to work with my people because in a real event, you know, I, I do want to be in there. You know, it's my my whole goal is to help people out and to make things run smoothly. So I don't see the value necessarily taking myself completely out of the equation. So The idea came to me when talking to some of my colleagues and I was doing some research and New York has a disaster assistance response team. And then we see a lot with the hospital emergency response teams, but it was all decon focused for hospitals. And I wanted to do something a little bit beyond that. So we came up with the idea to try to recruit just a group of people from each hospital that would be subject matter experts. We would train them on all of the equipment. We would train them on incident command. We would get them foundational principles of emergency management. They'd be familiar with regulations, you know, joint commission, DNV, now CMS. We wanted them to be well rounded. My real goal with this was I wanted many emergency managers running around at the hospitals and we implemented the program. I was fortunate based on how things were at the time. It was a pretty easy sell because of uh, just how some things were set up previously with training. We were training about 1,800 people system-wide a year on decon. Now that was the, you know, air quotes, that was the goal. And you never hit it. it. It's too many people. So I was able to scale some training back give a little bit more realistic number i said but hey we've got all these resources already invested let me have some of this and do this program so what we did we implemented it we train four times a year i get them for 8 hours once a quarter and initially we did you know kind of the first year was just ground level training we got everybody up to speed got them hands on equipment everybody got decon certified then this past year, we've sent everybody to Aniston to the Center for Domestic Preparedness to go through their hospital emergency response team training. So now everybody has very good realistic training under their belt. They're coming back. We're having our decon drills at each site next month. So I'll I'll let you know how it goes. But this is going to be their their first big operational test. Uh, the team's been running for about two years, and like I said, we've been we've been gearing up for this, but by design what i wanted them to be able to do is to create the people who could fill those lower level hospital incident command positions your team leaders your branch directors so that the rest of your staff can benefit from that just in time training but you've got all these other people out here that are now not only hospital assets but system assets as well
0: so back in the in the day when i was running the EMS. Uh, I I went to a couple of evacuations for hospitals. Uh, one was for a fire. The other one was because the air conditioning broke down in the summertime. You know, and I know that was like a huge logistics thing of getting everybody in and and, and moved. What is your biggest? I don't say fear, but what is your biggest concern? And what do you think that you have to practice for the most?
1: You know, it's kind of interesting because I I really have two. I have the internal, and then I have the external disaster. For me, my biggest fear externally is, for us, a major mass casualty incident, very similar to Las Vegas. I think just the sheer amount of patients, and then especially when you have the active shooter situations where you have a large amount of trauma that requires a large amount of surgeons, it's very resource intensive. There's a lot of moving parts. It's very dynamic You know, obviously, potentially for us, we live on a fault line in the Memphis area. We could have a large earthquake. You know, it really depends on who you talk to. But to me, you know, when I I look at my HVA and what could realistically happen, I think just a large mass casualty incident on the outside would be the one that we probably think about and prepare for the most just to, you know, where are we going to put people? How are we going to manage them? And then the communication piece of it. How do we get additional resources in? Things like that internally, what I worry about the most is an evacuation. I don't think a lot of people when they practice their evacuation plan, or even when they write it, think about all the logistics that really is going to go into that. I remember talking to a colleague from NYU when they evacuated during Sandy, Superstorm Sandy. And I, always, I think I always mispronounce it wrong, which is bad, but I think it's, it's NYU Len Joan. Is that how is it? It's like L-A-N-G-O-N-E. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm the dumb Southern guy.
0: We'll Um, go with that. I'm I'm cool with that one. Yeah, sure.
1: Whatever. (laughs) Um, But so I remember talking to her and she said, you know, it took them 18 hours to be able to evacuate the facility. And that was with med sleds, you know, a pretty good evacuation plan. I mean, and it was just, it's just time consuming. And I see these drills that sometimes go on, you know, where they move five or 10 mannequins off the floor and everybody raises their hands up. say, yay, we won the drill. And you know, I just, I think that one for me because of the resources in it and happened to actually move patients out. I tell everybody all the time when we do our 96 uh, hour sustainability exercises, you know, they say, well, we'll just evacuate. I'm like, are you sure about that? Do you you really want to do that? And uh, I told some people a while back, I said, the next time you just decide arbitrarily to evacuate the hospital after 24 hours because you're out of curlics, I'm gonna make you. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna go blow up 500 dummies, and you got to evacuate every one of them out on a med sled or a stretcher or something. Uh, you know. And they laughed, but it did lead to a good conversation. And that would be for me. And and going back to five days at Memorial and reading the challenges that they had, I think of evacuation would be the one that keeps me up at night.
0: You know what I always find funny when we do drills, you know, no matter what they are, they're like, okay, you know, you know, here comes the inject. And I love it. When guys are like, you know, Oh, they get the inject and they're like, Oh, we have, you know, 25,000 extra firefighters here on scene. are like, wow. What are they, did they beam over from the enterprise, you know, right?
1: <laughs> it's like, wow, that was we amazing. They did the national MOU and they just appeared. <laughs> I,
0: just, I just love it. Yeah. So the same thing. I, I understand that. And I, the, the evacuations that I was involved in, I, I was lucky because I was just driving a, a bus, you know what I mean, driving the ambulance. And right. I just pulled up, they sh- shoved somebody in the back there and we drove away. So we didn't even have to participate in the coordination and all that stuff. You know, so right. I, I didn't want, I don't want anybody thinking that I was actually coordinating an evacuation of a hospital. I, that's not what I did. I just, I drove the
1: bus basically. Right. So. Hey. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way to be, man. You just, you know the less is more. Yeah,
0: so for sure. Wow. So yeah, I can definitely see that being an issue. And especially, you know, after reading the, the decision-making process that they went through at Memorial Hospital. And for those of you who aren't familiar what we're talking about, it's a book called Five Days at Memorial. It's about Memorial Hospital in, in Louisiana, in, in New Orleans, Louisiana, during Katrina. It was a lot of, I would say in that book, it's a cascading of bad decisions. That's the only, you know, it wasn't one bad decision that was made. It was multiples, you know? Right. And so, yeah, it was horrific at the end, but, and uh, people were charged and I don't think anybody got convicted. I don't remember. Uh,
1: Yeah. No, the, the grand jury chose, you know, not to move it forward, but it was, yeah, I think when you look back at that and, and this has always honestly been one of my fears and and I've said it multiple times, as I said, you know, when I. I guess in those times where you feel like you don't have support or you want to move something forward or a drill or exercise isn't well attended. You know, I tell people all the time, like, I don't want to be the guy whose name is running across the news ticker as, you know, the embattled emergency manager. Like, you know, so the thing about five days at Memorial that really, I think, kind of always stuck with me was that is what happens when you don't have a plan and things aren't addressed, and people are forced to think for themselves. You know, one of the things we talk about, like public information and communications. And if you don't tell people what they need to do or what's going on, they're going to fill in the gaps. You know, uncertainty most of the time is worse than knowing. And I think people are, they're going to make some sort of decision. And, you know, I harp a lot of times, you know, Some of my folks want, you know, bullet points, every situation, every single thing that they should do step by step. And I have to tell them, you know, that's not the real world. You're going to have to employ some sort of critical thinking skills. And I think in the situation at Memorial, I think that's what they did. They they applied what they thought was right at the time. I really having read that book, I don't personally believe anybody acted with malice. I don't think there was any intent to do anything to cause harm. You know, I don't know. You know, it's it's a difficult one and and we'll never know. You know, we'll never know what was inside their heads. But like I said, again, when you put people in a situation that they're not trained for, that they have no plan or policy for and expect them to react, you know, again, lives are lost. But I think you have to look and say, you know, well. Did they do the best they could? You know, what was it? What was the intent? I have a bigger problem with the leadership in that book where it talks about administrators going across to the air conditioning cancer center right. and being cool that they warmed up soup. Right. I don't know. This is, I'm a big movie guy. I, I love movies and pop culture references. I don't know. Did you ever see uh, the new King Kong movie, Skull Island?
0: No, I have not, but it's on my uh, my son's list. So. The rest of that story, when we
1: return... From our break, seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive.
0: Emergency managers need exercise in order to test preparedness and efficiency during an emergency situation. TTX Vault provides pre-assembled, pre-filled out tabletops, drills, and functionals so you can exercise more effectively and at a reduced cost. With TTX Vault, customers receive either a disk or flash drive pre-uploaded with the exercise of their choice. Print out the documents, review, fill in the information, and you are ready to execute the exercise. Your first step to preparedness is going to ttxfault.com. Welcome back from that quick break. And thank you so much for listening to the sponsors because without them, we couldn't do what we're doing here at Ian Weekly. And hit them up, check them out. Say hi. Tell them that uh, we sent you. Now for the rest of the story.
1: Did you ever see uh, the new King Kong movie, Skull Island?
0: No, I have not, but it's on my uh, my son's list. so.
1: Okay. So... <laughs> It's funny and the reason I bring it up is because there there's this scene they're attacked by King Kong and all this on the island and the the one uh army helicopter pilot is just sitting there like cracking open a a can of Beanie Weenies or whatever and eating and everybody's like how are you so calm? Like we just got attacked by a giant ape and you know and you're just sitting there eating and he goes it was an unconventional encounter with no tactical precedent. We did the best we could. Right. I'm going, you know, I really like that. I like that thought process. And that's really emergency management. A lot of times it's not going to be textbook. It's an unconventional encounter. You don't have a tactical precedent or a plan. So you have to do the best you can.
0: You know, I just read the um, after action report from the Las Vegas shooting, and there were some findings in there that you know, weren't glowing, you know, for sure. And it was a good report, really was. And, you know, as you're reading this and we're discussing it, one of the guys who I was talking with about it says, I don't want a Monday morning quarterback anybody. And I'm not thinking we should Monday morning quarterback. I think we should learn from some of the mistakes that were made in the coordination of that response. But you're right. That quote fits that exact event. They did the best they could. They they did what they thought were they're supposed to be doing. You know, they tried to save lives and it was definitely unconventional in their response. But I think that's what we should take a look at. Every time we're looking at these large events and we start Monday morning quarterbacking, which everybody does, you know, that's right. how we learn. But take a think of that, that each one of these, they're doing the best they can with the information that they have at hand. So I think that's, that's a I really good quote.
1: I think it's interesting you bring that up about, you know, people saying, oh, I don't want a Monday morning quarterback. And, you know... In our field with emergency management, I think you have to look at sometimes we, I mean, we do after action reports, we do hot washes, we do debriefing. And I think there's a level of this where you have to check the ego. And I think there's a difference between professional observations of did we follow the plan or, you know, why evaluating why you made that decision? And I think that's, that's okay to ask. And, you know, even me, I mess up, you know, and in exercises, we have things get thrown at us. And, you know, I've been a student where I've worked in exercises and I can tell you that I've had good things on an after action report. And then I've also had an instructor come over to me and say, what was your reasoning behind that? And more often than not, they just want to really flesh out your thought process. You know, were you using... The tools you had, were you using your skills, your available resources to get this done? And it's learning for next time. And I think we have to kind of, kind of look at sometimes we have to step back and say, okay, we do need to somewhat Monday morning quarterback because everybody uses that quote, but they act like the coach doesn't go back to the locker room and talk to the players and say, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? Why didn't you do this? Because that's how we learn. I have a colleague that I work with, and I love his quote. And he asked this every single class we're in. And he says, what does fail stand for? You know, there's always blank stares. But he says, fail stands for first attempt in learning. I've always liked that. And I'd never heard it until he said it. But I always try to approach everything like that. Is we have to look at how do we learn from our mistakes how do we improve our plans? And so if we don't talk about it, we don't discuss it, you know, we we're gonna always be behind the eight ball.
0: Yeah, it's like the old uh Thomas Edison uh quote, you know, how many light bulbs did he, you know, try to create? And he's like, Oh, you know. It was like, what, 26,000, you know, lessons I learned until I got the first one right. So that the same same concept, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, you're right. You know, and and, yeah, anybody who watches film for football or for other sports, you know, that you're learning from that, you know, making a decision in the pocket might be different than when you're looking at the 10,000 level foot. But that's really as emergency managers, right? We're supposed to be at like the thirty-six thousand level, looking at this right. whole entire field and not into the weeds, you know. And uh, so, you know, that's what I said to my friend of mine. We're talking about the the whole Vegas thing. I said the interesting thing is, is if we take a look at it at the thirty-six thousand level, there was a lot of chaos going on and it was uncontrolled. I said, but as a if as an EMT or paramedic or firefighter who's responding, or police officer who's responding to that job, you know, you're in the weeds. And you need to be doing it like you would if you're going to one shooter, you know, right. that 500 people down, that doesn't really make a difference on how you should change your operational mode because you're still only going to get one patient or two. Right. You know what I mean? You're getting one or two patients. You're not taking all 500 into your ambulance and going for a ride, you know? So yeah. at that level, we really have to understand it's like, you know, controlling that emotion when, when the emotion's flying. And I get it. I mean, I, I responded to a, an active shooter to, and your emotions are high on these things. And it takes that time to, like I used to tell my EMT students when I was teaching, is well, if your pulse is racing, step back and take your own pulse first and then proceed right. into the into the action. Because you don't want to be all amped up when you're going to something where you're supposed to train, trying to people calm down. So, yeah, that's a... You know, so it is, we do learn from from everybody and I think we should take a look at that and and take a critical look at it and and to see how we can, you know, implement training and and activities into our potential response to the active shooter or the event like that or the catastrophic, you know, earthquake or the Sandy or whoever, you know, those things that where we take a look at the failures and learn from those. Because if you're not learning from somebody else's mistakes, you're going to make those as well.
1: Right, exactly.
0: So kind of moving in, one of the things I forgot to talk to you about is that... (laughs) <laughs> you have your own podcast. Tell me a little bit about your podcast.
1: So, yeah, we kind of started it up. It's a it's a long-term friend of mine. He was, back in my security days, he was actually my rookie. I got him like fresh out of high school and we became friends, but he's very, very interested in EM. We've done a lot of training together. He's one of the co-team leads for the DART program at his hospital. And we discuss this stuff you know, quite frequently because it's interesting to us personally, but also on a professional level, we got into it. Honestly, I'll I'll tell you completely by accident. I had some friends that were doing kind of a movie, a podcast. They were discussing movies and stuff. I was like, we should do that. And I was like, we talk about movies. And it's like, yeah. I said, what if we did a emergency management podcast? And so we kind of discussed it, talked about it. And then... We kind of wanted to look, you know, obviously we wanted to see what would be kind of new. You know, we wanted to create our own little niche and there was kind of that side of the personal preparedness that uh, Daniel, my co host and friend, is very interested in that he wanted to really talk about. And then I knew, you know, I kind of wanted to, I call it the LinkedIn side of the business. I wanted to, you know, discuss some of the topics for, you know, for people like us that we would be interested in, you know, what's going on, what's current in the industry. And so we kind of tried to blend that together. Some episodes lean more one way than the other, but we mixed it up and you know, we called it the state of emergency, which we tossed a bunch around. And I thought, you know, it's like that kind of, that kind of hits, you know, a little bit for, you know, what is, what is the state of emergency preparedness? What's the state of emergency management in the country? And so we've, uh we've done about 11 episodes now. We're still uh, fledgling as they say, but, you know, I really enjoy it. It's almost a nice way to uh, debrief and kind of just talk about some things, you know, between ourselves, and then you know, get other people's perspective on things. Um, I had an episode we did recently. My brother-in-law is an administrator for a school, and we were talking about, you know, it's August, it's back to school, and with Parkland, you know, just happening in February, and and some of the other things. We're like, you know this would be really timely to kind of talk about some communication plans for families, you know, how do school administrators view things. Because obviously, as EMs, we see the world a little differently. Um, You know, there's... I tell people a lot like I'm a professional paid worrier. And I think that <laughs> that's kind of accurate sometimes. But to get him on and kind of share, you know, hey, these are our worries, these are our concerns, and this is what we see and... You know, kind of what do you want people to know for the community? So that was a really good, I, I really enjoyed that episode to kind of give give a twist on it. But yeah, so we're just, we're kind of rolling along and, you know, picking up, picking up followers and doing it. So it's been enjoyable. It's given me a chance to use that radio broadcasting certificate I got right out of high school and remember not to pop my peas and all that good stuff. So.
0: Yeah. It's definitely a fun one to listen to for sure. And, and the, uh, the banter between uh, you and Daniels is, is a lot of fun to listen to as well. You know, I appreciate uh, that. You know, like I've always said, one of the, one of my goals here with Ian Weekly is to create a community of emergency managers. And it's not to have, you know, the, the dominance of a podcast world, you know, right. <laughs> so, so I think the more we share with everybody and, and these are different ideas and different views, I think it's great. So for all you all that are listening here, please go check out the state of emergency. Uh, I subscribed. Uh, I'm listening. So I, you know, you guys should do the same too. And, uh, you know, give them a chance. They're, they're pretty good. They're, they're knowledgeable and they're, they're actually kind of Fun to listen to.
1: I appreciate that. You know, it's funny, emergency management community. You know, there's we joke a lot, and I've I've had some instructors I work with teaching. uh, We have a certified hospital emergency coordinator course that I teach through Augusta University and National Disaster Life Support Foundation, and it's a it's a really good like course, and then results in a certification at the end of it after you take your tests and everything. And we're talking to one of the other instructors. It's probably about a year ago now, and he gave us a bunch of resources at the end of the class. And he said, you know, feel free to steal these. I did. And I laughed because that really is, you know, I think about people that reach out to me and they say, Hey, do you have a a decon plan? Oh yeah, here you go. You know, no thought to, you know, Oh yeah, I've got one, you know, $500, you know, PayPal me and I'll, I'll send it over. You know, we share stuff and we share information. And I mean, I'll be the first one to say I would not be where I am without good mentors and people who, you know, kind of got that interest and shared things with me. So I feel like we're a pretty benevolent community. You know, we like to see each other succeed. We don't want to see, see failure. And I, I hope that's something that stays, you know, that that collaborative nature of, of working together and, you know, it's because it's good because regardless of, you know, where you get your information from, as long as the information is good, it benefits everybody.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there. You know, I'm kind of on a soapbox right now with this one particular article that was in the Emergency Management Magazine talking about how the institutional knowledge of emergency management is going away and like how somehow these new EMs that are coming up behind us are Less than, I suppose. I don't think that's really what their intent of the article was.
1: I know which one you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Right. And so I'm reading this article. I'm like, come on. I said, there's so much where we share together. And if you, number one, if you're an emergency manager and you're you're leaving and you're retiring, that's awesome. And if you're leaving and retiring and refuse to, to help the guy who's replacing you, that's just not, I mean, just, you know, it's not a no way a good thing, you know, but there are so many other emergency managers across the country. You know, I belong to a listserv um, through Oregon and it's uh, called uh, Drew. It's a disaster resilient university. And it's really kind of cool because you jump on Drew and you go, Hey, has anybody worked on this? And boom, you get 25 emails with plans and ideas. And Oh, this is how it worked over here. Or this is how I funded this or whatever your questions are. And it's such a great community to be a part of when you just jump on drew ask a question and you get answers you know and i think we see this when we go to like the conferences when you talk to people or if you start having those you know your neighboring uh, communities. Hey, yeah, I, I'm I'm dealing with this. Have you dealt with this? Oh, yeah, I, I have. Or I, if I haven't, I know somebody who has. You know, and that's uh, you're right. It's such a great great community that way. That's one of the reasons why I love this job. I really do. You know, because we are collaborative that way, and I think collaboration is is going to save save lives. It does save lives. You know, yeah. I can say that strongly.
1: And that's the I was going to say that's the ultimate goal. You know, if 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 I share a plan with somebody and it causes a little less suffering or saves a life in somebody. That's that's worth more than, you know, anything I could ever charge for it or anything else. But it's interesting that you mention the because I've read a lot of articles on LinkedIn and have been a part of discussions. And I'm very I'm a very cautious person on LinkedIn. Um, me and social media are very interesting bedfellows anyway. I don't like discussing politics. I think Daniel and I probably say that about 20 times each episode. We're like, we're not gonna get political. But, you know, because the climate right now is so just it's it's a powder keg. But the whole operations experience versus education experience is a is an interesting argument right now, because you do have that mindset of, well, if you haven't been in hazmat and fire for 20 years, you haven't been in law enforcement for 20 years, whatever. You know, then what do you know about being an emergency manager, or, you know, whatever. But, you know, I see a lot of people who attend classes and, you know, just an example. I have people on the, my disaster team who came into this and knew nothing three years ago. They had never touched this. They didn't know that Hicks could have been hospital incident command system. It could have been, you know, me, you know, as a a Southern boy, you know, there was no, they, they, they couldn't tell the difference. So what they ended up doing, I have one lady, she's actually going to be presenting with me at the, uh, association for, uh, healthcare emergency preparedness professionals conference in November. And she's going to talk about the DART team with me. She went from really not knowing anything about this to getting her certified emergency disaster professional certification just a few months ago and, you know, set for the test. And yeah, it was kind of funny because I went and took the test the same time as her and she got her results back first and I hadn't gotten mine. I was going, well, that's going to be embarrassing. Um, <laughs> it's all good. I've got the letters behind my name. But, you know, I don't think that we should be as harsh when dealing with people who, you know, are coming up with just an educational experience. We need to mentor them and we need to really, in my opinion, and and I've written a little bit about this recently, we need to create opportunities for these people. And that's one of the things in the private sector that I've kind of ranted about recently is, you know, there's not a lot of opportunities. You know, I know a lot of people are getting emergency management degrees. Now they're getting associates, they're getting bachelors and, they're coming into the field and I get people that message me and they say, Hey, you know, what would you tell me to do? What's your advice on finding a job? And unfortunately a lot of it's, well, you know, you can, you can look at an internship here or, you know, maybe go check, check this out. But we need to really, I think, I would like to see a national kind of push or some standardization for, you know, healthcare, especially, you know, it's a difficult I have people tell me you know it's difficult sometimes just to even compare jobs mm. because we're still in the healthcare mindset so much of you know well, who's your e m the facilities director, the right. security director you know it's a tack on to somebody else's job and,
0: and and that's that's a problem, and I've talked about this before that's a problem in in the the public sector as well, yeah. I mean you have Firefighter guy, you know, captain or whatever, and they're just like, okay, yeah, congratulations, you have your captain. He goes on. Uh, now you're gonna do emergency management. And They're like, I don't, I don't know what emergency management is, you know, or you or the police, you know, sergeant who gets the same the same thing. You know, I I I always tell people when we talk about this. I said, at what time would you take an emergency manager and say, hey man, here's a here's a gun and a badge. You're now doing patrol. You know? Right. You, you Go clear just, that building. <laughs> right. You're right. You know, so you wouldn't expect that. And I don't know why you would expect somebody who went to a police academy just because they now are the sergeant or the corporal, now all of a sudden they are going to be the emergency manager. Uh, it's a yeah. different, whole different mindset, whole different aptitude, a whole different attitude in, in the world here. And, and we see this happen time and time again, you know, and there's no, I, and I'm not. Again, I'm not slagging my you know brothers and sisters in the fire department or the police department. It's just a whole different mindset. And I just would think that, you know, we can, we, you're right, there's, there, we talked about this. I don't know what the answer is. I think CEM right now is the closest thing we have to a national certifying body. Right. Maybe we should embrace that.
1: Yeah, I think there's a little bit boils down to, I think how I want to put it. I think there's a little bit that boils down to how we view it as a profession. You know, is it a profession that we want to establish as credible and as worth investing in? Or, you know, are we always going to treat it somewhat like an insurance type of position? And, you know, what's the bare minimum? But I think if if more entities, you know, the public sector and the private sector would look at it more and actually spend the time to really do a thorough risk analysis, do some cost benefit some you know return on investment all those financial sayings that people like to hear when they're spending money if we really think about how we're going to invest in emergency management as a profession how we're going to better protect our communities educate our communities we can really start to see the value in people like us and how we can contribute back to everything from you know, public sector to healthcare to even private business because it really gets into that recovery phase. And I've really, really enjoyed, I would say the Brock Long FEMA administration and how he has kind of pushed that community resilience factor and how things start locally. And I think once more uh, really business entities and things of that nature start to realize, hey, this is a good person to have on staff. You know, you've seen risk management become a thing. And I think we just need to, you know, the emergency manager should be as well known in an organization as HR and safety.
0: You know, there's two two things on that. One what, what is, as an emergency manager, you know, when I tell people, oh, I, I'm an emergency manager, and they go, well, what is that? You know, you have to go through this whole exploration, you know, and then it's always like, ah, oh, same thing. Yeah, so you right. know, do you start making, I just start making stuff for FEMA? Yeah, right. Yeah, do you work for, just start making stuff up. Like, oh, yeah, I'm the emergency manager. I, uh, you know, I manage all the fire trucks or something, you know, it's just something <laughs> goofy, you know, I don't know. I clean the wheels. <laughs> right. I change the oil. That's what yeah. I do. <laughs> um, you know, so, yeah, we don't, we don't really know what our, uh, well, we don't, but people don't know what our job is. You know, there's nobody like on career day going, hey, I want to be an emergency manager when I grow up, you know, <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> it's like, we don't have cool uniforms. You don't, you know, you know, don't drive. Well, we do drive to cool trucks. At least I do, you know, but you know, it's, it's, it's just funny. It's just like, we don't know what we do. There's a cartoon that was out and it was like, and somebody put it up and it said, there are two things that people don't know what they are. And one is a quantum physicist
1: and, a, and an emergency manager. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I was like, That's accurate. Yeah. Right. You know, so. Yeah, I don't know, though. but I think more people know what a quantum physicist is now. That's the big main theory. <laughs> right. We need a team to go. This is what we need. We need yeah. Hollywood to embrace us. But, you know, we made this joke on, on our podcast and I said, you know, they won't ever make a movie about emergency managers because nobody wants to see somebody fill out a 214 form for like four hours. So, right. You know.
0: Well, no. You know what? The, they, there was a movie about emergency managers. Come on. We all know it. Volcano with Tommy Lee.
1: This is true. You know,
0: true. I, I thought it was kind of weird when he went into the field and started yelling at the fire chief and tell him to flip the bus and stuff like that. I'm like, wow, I would love to be able to command presence <laughs> like that. You
1: do this. They, yeah. That's, I yell. I, I walk around, and yell at people to flip things over all the time. <laughs> I know that was but makes the day go by.
0: Oh man! Okay, so we're coming here to the end. A Couple of last questions. One is, if somebody is trying to get a hold of you outside of you know trying to find the State of Emergency podcast, which is I highly recommend, how can they find you?
1: All right, so I do have a, a LinkedIn page. It's Charles Lane. The probably the best way uh, to get a hold of me uh, is actually through the podcast page. If somebody just wanted to reach out off of this, state of at stateofemergencypodcast at gmail dot com. I manage all of our social media for it, so. Uh, again, I'm not a huge social media person, but I do have State of Emergency Podcast is on Facebook and Instagram. So we have pages for both. But if anybody's interested in reaching out and talking to me for whatever reason, uh, if they can't find me on LinkedIn, email me at the Gmail account for the podcast and generally respond within about 24 hours. So.
0: And like I always say, if you're driving down the road and you don't have a pencil in your hand, don't worry, we'll put this stuff down in the show notes so you can you know, go ahead and check out IanWeekly.com and, and click on the, on the information down there as well. All right, Charles, hardest question of the day. What book or publication do you recommend to people involved in emergency management or leadership?
1: So I've thought about this one and I'm going to give you two, if that's okay, because I've got one for leadership which I thoroughly recommend is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. I think it should be handed to anybody that gets a promotion that is responsible for at least one body. Just because, you know, if people don't know who Jocko is, uh, he was uh, Chris Kyle's commanding officer in Iraq, former Navy SEAL, wrote the book, and it really has some really great leadership principles about, you know, how you look at the way you're leading the things you're telling people. Just an excellent book. The other one, I have to go back to my security days because I still teach a lot of... Uh, it's called Management Aggressive Behavior. Uh, it's a class that we teach to the nursing staff and clinical associates as well as security about how to protect themselves and situational awareness, things like that. And it's a book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin Becker. It is probably one of the best books I've ever read about situational awareness, just listening to your gut, and there's a lot of really good applications for it uh, for emergency managers because there is that you know, there is that side of us that we have to kind of follow our gut and what feels right and, and things like that. but the book overall, like how he gets into the details of some things and the psychology behind why we should kind of listen to our inner thoughts, I guess about certain situations is is excellent so those are my two.
0: I was just looking over on my bookshelf to see I have that book somewhere. <laughs>
1: that's gotcha. yeah.
0: Yeah, that is a good book actually.
1: Minus dog eared like crazy.
0: Oh yeah, sure. yeah it has one of those books that's folded at the at the corners and stuff, and it looks like you've been abusing it. Yep. Okay, so is there anything else before I let you go that you'd like to say to the emergency manager out there?
1: You know, I think just the same thing that was kind of told to me early on is that always continue to learn. You know, never take an opportunity to learn a new skill, practice an old skill for granted. Anytime you can go to a conference and hear others speak, anytime you can go back and do some recurrent training, you know, always look at as an opportunity and and never a curse. I know a lot of people look at recurrent training as uh, this again, but to me, any opportunity to learn something new or to practice something I've already learned and make sure I'm still proficient at it is great. So, you know, just keep that up uh, continuing education is probably one of the most important things i think in our field to stay on top of anything that's going on
0: well charles thank you so much for spending uh some time with us here over at Ian weekly and uh, i really do appreciate it and i hope that maybe i can we can have you on again sometime
1: thanks todd and uh i know we're, we're gonna have to work on getting you over to our show as well so
0: <laughs> for sure